0: 1985 American League Championship Series. Who would have guessed when it started it was going to turn out to be a real big piece of baseball history. Kansas City was led by manager Dick Hauser. Toronto by Hall of Famer Bobby Cox. Toronto went into this series, uh, the odds makers had them favored 8-5, to five, and a lot of people thought those odds should have been a little bit higher in favor of Toronto. They'd had an outstanding season. A couple of things that were going to factor into this 85 ALCS, the first, this was going to be the first LCS year in which it would be a best of seven instead of a best of five, and in this American League championship series, that made a heck of a difference because Toronto would go up three to one in the series and came within 15 outs of winning the whole thing. They didn't, however. Kansas City had one of the great comebacks in postseason. Baseball history. And two of the people deeply involved in that, Brad Smolodix, played for Toronto. He had a great offensive series, including a home run off Brett Saberhagen in Game Three, that at that point looked like it was going to be enough to be a game winner. It wouldn't be. And for Mark Duvaza, who had been a starter all season with Kansas City, he would work both out of the bullpen and pitch a crucial must win Game Six in that series. These two were part of baseball history.
1: Mark and uh, Rance, great to have you. I, I'm just going to start it this way because as a fan, one of the things I've always wondered about, Rance, I'll start with you. You go into a series like this, the oddsmakers have put a pretty heavy bet on Toronto. Does this play in the mind of players at all? Cause, I mean, I know you've got to understand uh, that that, in fact, is what the oddsmakers
2: are saying. I, I don't think with our club... And at least for me personally, it didn't factor in at all. As a matter of fact, uh, the fact that you just mentioned that here this morning is the first time I've ever heard of what the odds were at the time. Um, But going in, I think all of us as professionals going in, you realize that in a a five-game or in this case a seven-game series, anything can happen. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean we, we won more games. We won 91 compared to Kansas City's – I mean, we won 99 compared to Kansas City's 91. But going into the series, I think we looked at it as it was going to be a very tough series. And to be really, really honest about it, I, at least for me personally, I felt like it, it, was, it was about even up. And the reason I say that is because Kansas City – had very good pitching, and in particular they had some very good left-handed pitching, and we had struggled against that. So going into it, that's not something we thought about. I thought we felt like we're going to have to play extremely well to beat the Royals. Yeah,
3: our... I, yeah, I think on our our case, I think because the, the year before we, we played arguably one of the best teams in MLB history, the Tigers, and we, I was, at that point it was a five-game format for the ALCS, we lost that we got swept, but a couple of games were really close. We gained a lot of experience, especially for us younger pitchers. We've, we pretty much had a veteran everyday lineup you know, led by George Brett and you know, Willie Wilson, Frank White, and Steve Balboni, guys like that, but uh, I think everyone all of a sudden felt that, okay, we weren't going to be overwhelmed by being in, in a series like that. And, and we knew Toronto, you know, we faced a lot, you know, Brett Sabring and myself, we had our struggles against them, and the ran hit it right on the head. They They crushed Right handed pitching really well, but we had some really good lefties with Lee Brandt, Danny Jackson, Bud Black that we felt that we had a shot. But, you know, going down in the series right away like we did, we were like, uh oh. You know, you look at the outfield, in particular for Toronto, you're talking about one of the most talented outfields you'll ever see guys with power, speed, great arms in the outfield, cover a lot of ground. It was, it was one of those teams, where, and they also had platoons that seemed to be every position, so they felt like they had a bigger you know, 25-man rostered than we did. We were pretty much set with our everyday lineup. But they had a, a lineup that could interchange between a righty and lefty depending on who was who was on the mound that particular night for us. So Toronto does what they're expected to do when you go up two
1: games to none. You had a couple of rain delays that took place. Uh, I wanted to ask about that. Always, the rain delays affect the attitudes of the players in these games. It looked as though it may have changed uh, the momentum uh, maybe in each game, uh, but certainly in, I think, game number one. Was it, did, did players feel
2: that, even in a series like that? I, I think you make a very good point in the fact that it may have changed uh, the momentum in game one, because prior to that rain delay, uh, Kansas City was up, and uh, we hadn't done much at that point offensively to that point in the game, but Really, uh, I think during the regular season, yes, sometimes I think a rain delay can definitely have a, a, an effect, at least psychologically, uh, on a ball club. But considering the circumstances at the time, uh, I don't think it had any effect at all. We were, we're going to have to come out of that rain delay ready to go and play. Um, and so I, I think the postseason makes it a completely different atmosphere and completely different mental approach coming out of a rain delay than it posed during the regular season. Yeah, I always felt, and, and, and you'd think it would be just the opposite, that a pitcher would be a disadvantage because the baseball has a chance of being wet from the rain,
3: but I always felt it was more difficult for hitters to be able to see the baseball. First of all, your, your reaction time is, is so quick to begin with to put the ball in play. You have the raindrops hitting the helmet, then it's dripping down in front of the eye so you have that distraction. So anytime there's a rain, even though if you're warmed up and ready to go, uh, you know you, you hate to sit down and then have to get hot once again, but... I, I always felt, and, and even talking to a lot of pitchers, whether it was on my team or even opposing pitchers, boy, it's tough to hit. And uh, you got to use that as, you, as an advantage for you because it's more difficult for them to be able to see the baseball coming in there, whether it's a fastball or some kind of a, a secondary pitch. So, you know, you hate to have those things where you, you, you're ramped up, ready to go, and then you have to, you know, cool down and get re-hot re and get, get going once again. But, you know, for me... You know, I think it's always an advantage, but there were so many ebb ev- and ev- flows during the course of this, of this series we had against the Jays, and, and you know, I, and I think part of it, even though in this age of, of baseball right now we're talking about matchups and and openers and bullpens, I, I think Dick Houser did an amazing job as far as, especially when you look at games six and seven of the, of the playoffs, where he was able to, you know, go from two right-handed pitchers to bring in lefties to take out. You know, Rance and and their left handed bats to to negate that and and flip that lineup back around as quick as possible. You didn't really see that a whole lot in baseball prior to that, but I think Dick Houser did an amazing job as far as doing that throughout that series. Well, he he did, and that's an excellent point. And you made the point earlier about we did have some positions
2: that platooned so we could match up real well uh, versus righty or lefty. But the disadvantage to that was if we made some changes early in a game, let's say we're facing a right-hander, and in the fourth inning there's a pitching change where the opposition goes to a left-hander out of the bullpen. And then what happens if, you know, of course the game dictates to some degree the score. If we're down or even tied and we had a situation to where we could get ourselves back into the game by pinch hitting, uh to to get the percentages as much as we could back in our favor uh or maybe go up a couple of runs if we got a big hit through a pinch hitter uh bobby cox wouldn't hesitate to do it because he didn't manage a game based upon well i know it's just the fourth inning and we'll get this opportunity again later in the game he didn't manage that way if he had an opportunity to tie the game or expand the lead even sometimes he would pinch hit but what happened is that would leave you vulnerable later in the game if now out of the bullpen, 7th, 8th, and ninth inning, you have right-handers finishing up the game for the opposition. Now we couldn't counterpunch anymore. So it, it, could, it was definitely an advantage at times. But at other times, and in particular this series, it turned out in a few instances to be a disadvantage. Yeah, especially when you think about
3: it, lefties you know, would hit Quinton really well, but right-handers really had a tough time. That arm angle even though Quiz didn't necessarily have a great, you know, ALCS, but still he could shut down a, a right-handed batter with the best because he's going to get a ground ball out. But, you know, as a lefty, you're going to see the ball pretty well out of his hand for a long period of time to give yourself a better chance to square up the baseball. So when you go righty, lefty, then you bring Quiz in there, and he wasn't one of those, you know, closer who was going to go one inning. He was going to even possibly have to get, you know, seven or eight outs during the course of, of a game for Quiz because he could throw – every day from that arm angle. So, yeah, that was that came into a play quite a bit. We, you know, throughout that entire year with Kansas City, we basically stuck with a nine-man pitching staff. And, and this day and age with 13 or 14 guys in your pitching staff, completely different. So it was starter, maybe one guy in between, and then, then your closer. But that's why I think when you look at it so similar to today's game, a lot of starters – you know, including myself and and Bud Black and and even Charlie Lieberman, all pitched in relief in that series, which is was odd during that time in baseball. I just just
2: it's just something that uh, at the, as you as you say at that time you didn't see a lot and you know back to Quisenberry as a left-handed hitter you didn't mind facing because basically all you had to do you look for the ball try to get it make him elevate it just a little bit and the ball sinking and going away from you which is always a little easier to to manage than if that ball is sinking and running back in on your hands, which, of course, with the right-handers, he was – I don't know what right-handers hit against him career-wise, but it couldn't have been too much. But as a uh, left-hander, if you had the right approach to him, you could have some success. But there was a a couple of instances where he was flipped on us, and uh, uh, not that he wouldn't have had success anyway because – his career speaks for how good he he, he was, and uh, but it, it just it's interesting how the the scenarios played out, and I it, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I know in Game Seven when uh, Saberhagen was taken out of the game after the third, and Lee Brandt followed him. Um, I think I believe it was uh um, Yeah. It we had basically, at that point, forced into making some changes, and we, we used some pinch hitters, took some left-handed hitters out of the game, and then later on, here comes Quiz late. So, uh, yeah. not that that would have changed anything anyway, it may have played out the way that it did, but it, it, it most certainly forced our hand. Let me ask, let's go to game three.
1: Uh, Toronto's up, you go to Kansas City, Toronto has won the first two games. You're 15 outs away from going to a 3-0 lead in the series. What happened, I guess starting with Brett, <laughs> in, in game three? I mean, this just looks like a complete turnaround game. Is this the game that changed the the big mo in this whole series? Yeah, uh, just from,
3: you know, in, in that dugout, it was, it was one of those scenarios where, uh, you know, watching George over the years, you know, even back in the '80 World Series against the Phillies, and then all of a sudden here where I am playing with him in the playoffs in '85. This is when he really took over that leadership role, and he, he basically came in there before the game and said, "All right, guys, all right, just jump on my back. We're we're going to do something special here tonight." And then obviously he had a you know fantastic game, you know, just carrying the club. I mean, it was a back and forth game, you know, from the get-go. But I mean, when he, when as our club. When, you know, George Brett was, was the guy, when he looked comfortable and was had that edge going with him in that game, I said, oh, wow, this!" all of a sudden we have ourselves a series. Like I said, even though it was a back-and-forth game, Sabre Hagan didn't pitch particularly well. And, and over the years, the Blue Jays really swung the bat well against Sabes, even though he was a Cy Young Award winner that year. They had some pretty good swings against him. But, you know, George is, was so locked in. He had success against Doyle Alexander, and he, and he made sure he let everybody know that, He's going to get some good at-bats against him. even though Doyle was excellent for the Jays, too. You just knew that George was going to carry the club. Uh, you know, other guys had their good at-bats, good, good approaches. But what George did in that game, all of a sudden, I think, when you have your leader doing something special, all of a sudden we felt we had a shot. Because at that point, boy, we, we, we knew, we heard it from a number of people, how good the Jays were. We saw them during the regular season. We saw them the first couple of games. We knew we were in trouble. We had gotten swept the year before by the Tigers. We were in the process. That, that may happen again, but then George just came forward and became the leader that he was, and he carried that all the way through that whole entire series. Well, I do. I just have a qu-
2: quick question for you, Mark. When did George not ever look comfortable at the plate? I don't ever <laughs> remember.
3: You know what? The only so guys, <laughs> if, unless it was Charlie Hop with knuckleball or someone, could, you know, that's the thing. Doyle had that real slow breaking ball. Usually pitchers that throw, you know, you know, below the hitting speed. That's the guy you had trouble with for whatever reason. You could be a lefty, righty. If you threw hard, you know, just ask Goose Gossage on that one. He's going to hit it hard. But if you threw the ball slow, because he had that Charlie Lau hitting approach where he was, he was gathered up through the baseball. So if it's slow, you know, that's the only time he would have a problem. But I'll tell you what, he was he was locked in and I'll tell you, I couldn't believe how good and focused he was that Because, you know, we're, we're kind of still – reeling a little bit, thinking, boy, we're in the postseason again. We have a chance to get
2: knocked out, swept back-to-back season. That's not easy to do. And we were in the process of probably doing that once again. Yeah. Uh, I, playing third base, yeah. even when sometimes he would get out on that front foot, his hands would stay back so well. Uh, as a third baseman, when those hands stay back, you, you're, your first thought is, uh-oh, <laughs> he's going to yeah. hit this one hard somewhere. But... uh it's interesting. We had, obviously, when we, you sat down and go over, okay, how are we going to pitch uh, these hitters on, on the opposition? The one guy that we all agreed upon we were not going to let beat us, of course, was George Brett. And uh, just moving forward in that game, we were down two to nothing going the top of the, I mean, excuse me, game three. He, he, hit, the, he hit the solo home run, um, I believe, in the first inning with two outs. And then we're we're still down two to nothing, going to the top of the fifth, and we score five runs off Saberhagen, and take a five two lead. Then Sunberg gets a solo shot in the bottom of the fifth to make it five three. But we still feel actually very comfortable at that point. We still feel like we, we can finish off this game because we felt like we're probably going to score a couple more runs. And even if we give up a run or two from this point on, uh, we 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 were still very confident. And then. In the bottom of the sixth, uh, in a 5-3 game with a runner on and Brett coming up to hit, I remember Coxie, Bobby Cox, I remember came to the mound, discussed, asked, "What do you think? Do you think you can get Brett out?" And he felt like he felt like, "Yes, I can. I, I, I can get him." And so the decision was made. We're going to go ahead and pitch to him. And I recall vividly thinking. Here we're going to do what we've said we're not going to do Because it was a position where we could pitch around him and we didn't he hit a two-run home run and that tied the ball game up now That wasn't the hit that beat us in that baseball game, but I felt like and Mark I don't know if if You sense this as an athlete as well, but I thought it completely shifted the momentum the the Royals and away from the Blue Jays, and I think it had a psychological effect, a positive one for you, the Royals, and a negative one for us, and I've always felt like as games ebb and flow, sometimes that can be a deciding factor in the outcome of the game, and as it turned out, you went on to win that game and get yourself back into the series, and just if I can just for a moment jump forward, in game four, with runners at first and third, and uh, th- there was no score at that point, and nobody out. Brett comes up to hit, and Steve's on the mound, and Bobby Cox says, put him on. We intentionally walk him. Now, he ends up scoring a run in that inning, but we get out of it and go on and win that game 3-1. to one. So I kept kind of reflecting back if if we would have elected at that point to, if we didn't intentionally walk, walk him, just pitch around him and not give him anything to hit Maybe we win Game Three, and it's over after Game Four. So uh, Brett, in that game, and it maybe that, arguably, might have been the best postseason game he ever had. I think he had a single, double, and two home runs. Yeah, like yeah. you said, he just put you guys on his back and away You win. Yeah, I mean, you could feel the energy once he hit that that second home run. It's like, oh man, we're we're actually going to do this thing. You know, when you're fall
3: behind like that and you're down in a series already, like 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 you said, the five run inning, you feel like you're done and you know, Hall of Fame managers, you know, make some mistakes along the line too, and Bobby Cox, I mean, at some point when you give your pitcher and, and us pitchers being thinking we're so smart, we're so tough and so competitive, oh, I can get him out. You realize, well you know what, I can get the next guy out sometimes better than I get that guy who's who's clutch. I mean George throughout his entire career lived for those moments. Some guys for whatever reason just slow the game down and get those big hits. And and when you're given that opportunity you know, and he comes through, and then all of a sudden we're all, we're right back in this game, and that was a, that was a great game, and his his effort. We came into the clubhouse after that game. We were like, all of a sudden, hey, we're going to win this thing, and then well, be behold, what do we do? We end up losing the next day, you know. But it was still one of those things where you were still felt you were part of the series because what he did. Brad, well, did, did,
1: yeah. did you ever recover? Do you think you ever
2: recovered from that game as a team? Uh, uh well, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, the next year uh, we we had a subpar year. There's no question about that. In 1986, we did not play to the level that we should have. But I think by 1987, uh, Gary, that we had we had recovered. We we had a, a a great year up until the last week of the season, and. I, where we had a three and a half game lead with about seven to play, and we didn't win another game, and that's when we lost on the last day of the season to the to the Detroit Tigers. Frank Tanana shut us out one to nothing in Detroit. But we had lost uh, in the previous in the weekend series uh in Toronto against the Tigers. We had lost Tony Fernandez. he's gotten hurt. he was done for the year. and we also, in the series prior to going to Detroit. Ernie Witt got hurt. We lost him. So we went into Detroit with two key components of our lineup missing. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I think by then, yes, we had recovered. uh, But most certainly being up three games to one and losing and then getting to play the last two in Toronto, that was tough. And and I think that did carry over into the 86 season because uh, we, we definitely that year did not play to the level that we should have. Markubas, you've appeared a, as a reliever. It's Game Six.
1: You got to win. You're in Toronto. Talk about getting ready for Game Six, day before, night before, and then the game.
3: Yeah, I'll tell you what. That, that was one of the coolest and craziest moments of, of my whole life, really. We win Game Five, two nothing. Danny Jackson was incredible. And I remember right after the game, we're we're at home there. And Dick Couser brings me into uh, the office and say, hey, by the way, you got game six. You know, and at, at that point I wasn't even scheduled to start. I was pitching out at a bullpen. And I said, okay. And I remember walking out of there. <laughs> immediately thought, all right, I'm going to drop dead right on the spot right here. i got to go to <laughs> the deciding game up in Toronto, a team that, you know, I didn't have a ton of success. I'm facing all these left-handed batters. A lot of guys with some pretty good career numbers against me. I'm walking out, and George Brad just pulls me aside. He goes, hey, man, what's, what's the word? I go, uh, I'm pitching, them I'm starting game six. He goes, oh, that's cool. You know, one thing, you just got to think of it this way. Either we're playing golf the next day or we're playing game seven. Otherwise, just have a good old time. And I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. They're either going to go out there and lose money on the golf course, or I'm going to have my teammates want to, you know, say, jump on my back. So then, I, then, I, then it's crazy. I go home and. I call my dad. I go, hey, dad, guess what? He goes, what's, what's up, junior? Even even though I was I was not a junior, he always called me that. He goes, uh, I'm pitching game six. He goes, all right, I'm coming up. I'm like, you are? And At that point, there's no way you're getting any hotel rooms up in Toronto for that. There so he is. My dad comes up with my uncle and my American Legion baseball coach, and all three are literally staying in my room with me that night, and they're all snoring away, loud as can be. My, I'm, I'm staring at the ceiling going, all right, I got about four or five more hours just to try to think about trying to sleep because I'm pitching in arguably the biggest game I've ever even thought about pitching in. But I always remember just one thing that Tom Seaver, because I was always one of those guys that anybody who had, had any success, whether it was a hitter or a pitcher, I would always ask them questions. So I went up to Tom Seaver and you know Steve Carlton, Jim Palmer, everybody, Don Drysdale. I remember Tom Seaver told me the one thing that made so much sense to me he goes the most important night before you know, you're know started, the day before the day before. And I'm like, well, how does that make any sense? Because he says, the day before you pitch, you're gonna be so focused on what you're trying to do on the mountain, you're not gonna have good sleep. So that night before, you gotta get a real good night's sleep and then you're gonna be fine no matter how little sleep you get. So I'm, I'm laying there, listening to my dad and my uncle and my legion ball coach snoring away as loud as possible. But yet I was so amped up, so focused that next day that I couldn't wait to get to the ballpark, even though it was absolutely freezing. And it's typical of exhibition teams that, you know, the winds are howling out the right field. Like, all oh, those left-handed batter's are gonna be, like, just going, all right, we're in good position here, we're gonna close this out at home. And, you know, but I remember when George told me that, and I felt real comfortable, real confident that, you know, if he has, you know, he has my back, he feels comfortable with me on the mound that, you know, Good things are happen, going to happen, but it was it was a battle that entire game. And I'll tell you, I had t- times where I didn't even feel my fingers; it was so cold. But again, I always saw those kind of conditions that if I make my pitch, whether it's on the handle of the bat or towards the end of the bat, it's not going to be real comfortable for hitters in that scenario either. Well, that's interesting. Rath, how about you know, going into that game? Go ahead. How about you going
1: into
2: that game six rounds? Well we we were confident we were back home uh and and we felt very very comfortable going into the game uh, felt like our chances uh, to win that we had Doyle Alexander was going for us that night and uh Doyle had had pitched magnificently all season for us so we we were we were confident uh, we felt it would be a tough ball game as 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 it should be but um again Mark was outstanding. I do remember in that ball game, uh, we hit a few balls uh, that were hit well, and the wind was blowing to, to like, left center, left, and uh, the wind did hold them up some. But both teams were playing in the same conditions, and it was very cold. It was a difficult night, but uh, Mark did an outstanding job. Uh, Brett hit his third home run of the series, all three of them that he hit off Alexander. And, um So it was on at that point to game seven. And if I can back up there there, for just a moment, going back to game three, uh, because I think it's been overlooked. Uh, Steve Farr was magnificent in relief for the Royals in that, that, that game. I think he went four and a third and closed out the game once he entered into the game and held us scoreless. And, uh, you know, without his performance, maybe they don't win game three. So he, he, he did a tremendous job in Game 3 shutting us down uh, once he entered the ball game. so I did want to point that out. But back to Game 6, uh, Mark just – you know, we got outpitched in that game. Simple.
3: Simple enough. Yeah, I'll tell you, it was still – you know, even when I go back and I think about the lineup for you guys, I'm like, wow, there's so many, like, outstanding players in your lineup who had great careers We're still having I mean, when you look at numbers you guys put up even in that series – that in the end, when you look at the numbers combined, runs for each team. I mean, it was a seven game series, and the reason why it was only like what one or two runs separated combined between the two teams. This is one of those scenarios where you know we needed to make the right pitch or get the right at bat. At the, you know, it came down to game seven, and you know, that was the amazing game. But game six, I remember coming back in the, into the clubhouse, and George. Just gave me this big old bear hug, and it goes, you know, that is something you'll remember the rest of your life. And to this day, I still remember that game as if it was yesterday. And even though we knew we had game seven the next day, we felt that, okay, now it's like going into a heavyweight boxing match. All of a sudden, after getting knocked down a number of rounds, here you are in that 15th round. Now you have a shot and see what happens the next day. we, You know, we had saves going to start the game. He had an unbelievable season for us and it was going against the guy who had been dealing the whole series himself, Dave Steve, and it was going to be an all-out battle. And I remember that day was freezing. I remember holding two cups of coffee in my hands with batting gloves on. By the time I walked out to the the field itself, it was like I was drinking an iced coffee. It was that cold. It it was definitely a cold evening. uh, It was uh, October in in
2: Toronto, that's for sure. But uh, that game seven... Uh, You know what, as we all know, Mark, when you get to Game 7, what has happened the previous six doesn't matter anymore. It's whoever performs today. And you made an interesting point uh, in the fact that when you, the Royals, needed a big out post the first two games, when you needed a big out, you were able to get it. When you needed a big hit, you were able to get it. And because there was other players, as you know, Uh, that that came through in some big situations for you outside of George Brett and that that came up with some big hits in some big situations. And after the first two games, we were just not able to execute at the same level in those situations that uh, you, the Royals, did. And that was the difference in the series, uh, ultimately, in the end. And uh, talking about Game 7... You know, the, the the first thing that comes to my mind was Sunberg fly ball to right field with the bases loaded that the wind caught and carried it to where it hit the wall, and of course at that point Royals had all the momentum in that ball game. Yeah, that, that, I
3: remember jumping out of the, you know my seat in the dugout yeah, looking at that fly ball by Sonny with the bases loaded. In so many years, Jesse Barfield, whether making a great play. Or throwing somebody, I've never had. He had one game against us where he threw out three runners, either two going trying to score or one going to third in, in one game. So anything hit towards Jesse Barfield, whether it's a hundred feet over the fence, you just thought he was going to catch it, and to hit that fence and, and kicked away from it. All three runs scored. We were like shocked because off the bat you think, okay, maybe that's going to end up being a fly ball out, and before you know it's a three run double for Sonny, and you know. You mentioned some of the guys like Willie Wilson really had a good playoff series because when you look at Willie's career, especially, you know, in that 80 World Series, he really struggled. I remember as a Philly fan going there, we were rooting for him to get to the plate because he was going to be an out. He had a tough time, but he had a really good series against you guys. You know, obviously George did too, but, you know, just those guys that came through, Buddy Biancolano, who, you know, everyone had fun with from Letterman on fourth about how, you know, he was going to break – you know Pete Rose's all-time hit record, even though he had barely any, ends up coming up with a couple key hits. You know, and it was it was an odd team talent-wise, but it was, we always felt it was it was a great team. We played well together. We defended. I think that's the biggest thing you know, that we had
2: going for us. We were a great defensive team, and you know our pitching was very good too. But our defense was good, and we just we just hoped that Sony would come up with a clutch hit, and, and Sonny certainly did that in Game Seven. Uh, uh, As you mentioned, Buddy got a big hit for you. Uh, Another uh, player that that had a good series uh, was uh, Pat Sheridan. Uh, He did a a very good job. I think he actually hit a couple of home runs and uh, was a a, a very important factor in in the series. Did a very, very good job. So uh, as you know, it takes a lot of things to win, and again, it's back to your previous point in when you needed a big hit, you were able to get it. You needed a big out, you were able to get it. And oftentimes during the course of the game, whoever wins in two or three big situations in the course of the game wins that situation, ultimately will win the game. And I think that's what happened, um, uh, like I said, post those first two ball
0: ballgames. Uh, uh, you executed in the critical
2: situations better than we did. Guys, how about a little one-on-one, uh,
3: literally, as you look back, facing one another? Gooby, you're you're pitching, to Rance, what are you thinking about? What's the attack? You know, you know, as all pitchers know, and I'm sure hitters are the same way, you already, you always know you know who's comfortable in the batter's box, who gets good swings against you, and Rance, I always thought, you know, I remember one game where he didn't play, and Garth or played one day, I was like, I couldn't... Tell you how excited I was. Even though I knew Gars was a good player, he was a right handed batter. I was like, all right, I'm pumped up. Rance isn't playing. But, you know, it seemed like, I don't know, whether I was a tip in a pitch or whatever, he just knew exactly what I was trying to do. And I, you know, I threw my slider down and in, back foot to lefty. You know, I threw my, my power sinker going away. It seemed like he was able to track and lay off that tough pitch down and in and to sit and look for a fastball. Even though a lot of times I was going to get something hit on the ground. He was, he, you know, you could tell what he, you know, when Rance was talking about Quisenberry, even though we were different pitchers, but we're definitely going to live in the lower part of the strike zone. His goal was to not go after that pitch, bring that pitch up. Umpires at that point, mostly in the American League, they didn't call the low strike. That was more of a, you know, the National League thing. So you're going to, they are he's going to bring up the strike zone, and, and when I got the ball up in the zone, he had some pretty good swings, and uh, that, that reason alone, I just don't like your ramps because you got a lot of good swings against me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play cordial I, to you right now, but I don't like the way that you had some good swings against me. Uh, <laughs>
2: well, the competitive side of us, I I, I completely understand. Um, I will say this: I I was much more comfortable against Saberhagen than I was against Mark. Um, uh, I don't know. I couldn't. I don't. I have no idea what my stats against uh, Mark would be. I I know I did get some hits off of him, but what what I tried to do with when I faced Mark was I just looked for the sinker, the hard sinker, because if he threw his slider and located it, uh, as he mentioned, he tried to throw it at the back foot of the left handed hitters to get it down and in under your hand, I couldn't do anything with it anyway. So it really didn't make any sense for me to, on occasion, to. Look or sit on the slider and try to hit that pitch, because if he located it, I wasn't going to do anything with it to begin with, so I just basically tried to stay out over the plate with him, as he mentioned, try to make the the sinker start up just a little bit and hopefully make a good swing and put the ball in play hard and That was the approach that I had against mark and and what success I did have uh, that's what i if, if I faced him three or four at bats. That was the approach because, like I said, if he, made, if he made a mistake with the slider, maybe I could do something with it, but it didn't really make a lot of sense to look for it because he, he was very, very good at keeping it down and underneath your hands as a left-handed hitter. And he had an excellent slider. It, had, it was late, it was hard, and it had good depth to it, good tilt to it. And uh, uh, so just tried to stay with the hard sinker and, and hopefully you could put it in play a couple of times hard.
1: Let me ask you something about
2: <clears throat> there
1: There was a catch uh, a Mosby catch, no catch he thought he had it, it was ruled a no catch, uh, there were no video replays at the time the slow-mo of it wasn't necessarily definitive did that become a, in any way a turning point in the series? Do you remember that play and how it affected you?
2: I do remember the play but I, I, I reflecting back I don't think it it had any effect on the outcome of the series at all, uh, or even the particular ball game. Uh, It's just one of those things that happened. I I remember it vividly. Uh, Lloyd thought that he had had caught the ball and and, uh, uh, the replays. It was was very, very difficult to tell if if he had, in fact, uh, made a clean catch or if the ball had actually hit the turf. Um, But from my perspective, uh, it 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 did not affect any any of the outcomes. Yeah, I'll
3: tell you what, they, you, you guys. I mean, when you think about that outfield, you can compare that outfield really around to any outfield the game has ever seen. When I mean, you talk about pure athleticism, covering the ground, making plays like that, or, or barely making or not making plays on that fly ball. That uh, I always thought anything hit with you know, unless it's way out, it was going to be caught. And you know, the, the range and the arm strength. It was it was pretty. Actually, it was kind of fun. Basically, I've always been a baseball fan just watching, you know, the talent. Actually, the the overall talent of your team. And we were, even after we win game seven, I remember we were all going crazy in in the clubhouse. And we're all kind of still kind of shocked that we actually won that series. You know, from obviously being down three games to one. But when you look at the talent, and and we knew that with, with the team we had that, who knows if you ever get back, even though we did get back-to-back playoff appearances in 84 and 85, but when you get in those positions where you have to find a way to somehow win that series against a team that was so talented, we were kind of shocked, you know, and it actually carried over into the, you know with the World Series where we were like, we couldn't believe we won, and before you know, we're behind two games and on once again, and then three games to one in that series before coming back once again. But uh, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. This is a is a pure fan to watch such a talented team. And we knew at some point, you know, that team was gonna do something special and uh you know, Toronto was so good. I, we we all loved the city. We didn't necessarily love being frozen stiff, you know, that it's game six and seven in the of the playoffs there, but uh so it was so much fun going against you guys and and you know, everyone kind of we kinda of liked each other. not there was a lot of hatred involved. Where you see that with teams going, I know from talking over the years with, with George and Hal and, and Frank and Willie, there was pure hatred for every time they played the Yankees. It wasn't quite that, you know, scenario with the with the Jays. Other than the fact we were we were like amazed how talented that that, that Jays team was, and we were kind of in shock that we actually somehow won that because things just went our way at the right time.
2: And oftentimes that's what has to happen in order to 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 win it all. uh You have to have a break here or there you have to come through in some big situations and as I mentioned earlier, you guys were able to do that. but you know you talk about the talent of 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 the blue Jays and particularly the outfield at that time, and pretty much everybody was in their prime uh, uh, at, at that point in their careers and when, when just I can say this uh when you play with somebody every day, uh, it, it, you kind of start to take them for granted in terms of uh, you don't think about how good they are. I think when you're playing against your opponent, uh, I think it, it, it's something that jumps out at you. How about you know somebody's a really outstanding hitter, or an outstanding player, outstanding pitcher, whatever it may be. But playing day in day out, you just get so used to seeing it that nothing really surprises you anymore. And that ball club, I can say, the 1985 team, uh, was, in, in my opinion, the most talented team that I ever played on. Um, and, but yet we weren't able to get the job done in the postseason. But it was a very talented team. We had Tony Fernandez at short, Domaso Garcia at second. We had Willie Upshaw at first. And you talked about how your club could play defense, how the Royals could play defense which is something that often I think gets overlooked and there's, is not given enough credit. But our club, we great defensive ball club. And like I said, we had excellent pitching as well, which you have to have, but we could catch the ball as well as anybody and uh, in, in a number of those positions with great range. So uh, it was a very talented team, but uh, I think in, in some ways you kind of... Uh, Underrate your club just a little bit, Mark, in terms of talent uh, playing against you. I thought it was a very talented team. Uh, And the pieces, you guys did play extremely well as a team. Uh, You you could tell when when we would play you, everybody in every situation on your ball club, you could tell by their approach that what they were, their their approach in that situation was, what do I need to get done in this situation to give my team the best chance to win? And I think it's one of the reasons that you were able to get to the postseason, number one, and number two, be a world championship team because you as a team had that approach. And, um, uh, but you, some very, very, very talented players on that ball club. And we did have a, a very good rivalry, I thought. with Most certainly, you are our best rival out of the Western Division of the American League at that time. And uh, uh, we went head to head, had some great ball games, some great series. But it is you did make a very interesting point. Looking back on it, I don't recall there ever being any animosity or anything between the two teams. We just played hard against each other. Uh, we 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 had the same dislike for the Yankees that the Royals did. Uh, anytime we played the Yankees, uh, there 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 was some genuine dislike which we just didn't seem to have when we played the Royals. And it's obvious that you guys didn't feel that way about us. You just thought we were a very talented team, and we have to play well to give ourselves a chance to win.
3: Yeah, I think, too, when you look back, when you think about it, both managers, wow. I mean, that's that's why I mean, we had such an epic seven-game series. There. When you think of Bobby Cox and Dick Houser, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, Bobby on his way to the Hall of Fame, and, and Dick Houser was – one of the best managers. I mean, he won over 100 games with the Yankees. They let him go because they didn't win a World Series. But we have no chance, period, of ever winning a World Series in 85 if it was for Dick Howser because he was so calming. But he, his game management was incredible. And you mentioned, we talked about earlier in our conversation here, how he had, he had a, a, his mindset where he was going to flip your lineup if, as often as possible, but even though he had tremendous depth that at some point, maybe because you went and made those changes, you wouldn't have those those guys in the, in the key moments later in the game that may have a better chance against, say, Quiz or even a Steve Farr or something like that, because we didn't really use a lot of guys necessarily relief-wise out of the bullpen other than those two, with mainly starters pitching in relief, that, uh, you know, he was he was amazing. And, you know, to this day, everyone asks about, you know, Dick Houser, and I said there was nobody quite like him because – he had a bad game, he put the blame on himself. You had a good game, he said, You're the reason why the game, you, we won because what you did out there. Because, like I said, George, same way coming in game six, and Dick brings me in the office. He goes, I told you there was, I, I'm a smart man. I told you you were going to win game six. And I was like, I still was shaking, you know, going into the clubhouse after the game. I was like, Wait, did we win this game? And, and that's, that's the way he was, where he put everybody in position to succeed. And that's why, I think that's the only reason why you come back in a series against a team like yours, because you have a manager. All, it's so calming in there. Not once do we ever go, oh, man, we're in trouble. You come, hey, guys, this uh, play a good game today. I'll put you in a position to succeed, and, and we'll see what happens from there. It was pretty cool. Well, he definitely provided oh, well, leadership. There's no question about that.
2: And you're talking about, just to your point again, and one of the big breaks uh, uh, that – I I felt that you guys caught in game seven was when Brett Saberhagen was hit with the batted ball again, I think for the second time in the series. He finished up the inning, the third inning, and Lee Brandt, he uh, he took uh, Saberhagen out of the game, brought Lee Brandt in, and Lee Brandt was magnificent the rest of the way, and he flipped us. And he, he did it again. Now, I to this day, I don't know if he took Brett Saberhagen out of the game because he had gotten hit and he was stiffening up uh, or what the circumstance may have been, or he just decided to make a change. I, I don't know. Uh, Mark, you can speak to that. But I, I definitely felt looking back feel like looking back on Game 7. That was a break because we were so comfortable against Saberhagen and we had had success against him. So we felt we're going to score some runs off this guy tonight. It's just a question if we pitch well enough to win the ball game. But when he came out, we were forced, based upon the circumstances at that time, to do some pinch hitting and get the right-handed bats in the game. And of course, late—I I don't want to say that that was a deciding factor, but it most certainly—if it had been close late, it could have uh, made a big difference. As it turns out, you guys had—it was comfortable for you closing out the, the back end of the ball game, but. Again, looking back, I thought that was a big break uh, that went your way. When you yeah, I mean, how crazy is the fact game. that he would put Charlie Leebrant in that game, considering he already lost two
3: games. He had a chance to potentially lose three games in a series, which I don't, I don't know offhand. I can't imagine many pitchers ever lost three games in a, in, a, in a series in a playoff series. But that's what he was. The Cows had put him in a position, like, okay, I still believe in you. And he came in, and you're taking out the, the guy who's going to win the Cy Young and Saberhagen. And you're right. I don't know if, if, if Dick necessarily did that on purpose or not. I know, you know, it's twice in one series, I think it might even been Lloyd Mosby, hit him twice with the line drives back up the middle, one hoppers that, uh, it, you know, in a cold night like that, obviously it was going to stiffen up. But to, to have your starter who had lost a couple games already in the series come into relief in game seven, where the season is on the line, it was, it was, it was amazing how well and how than Charlie was to go out there, especially when you already lost two games. I mean, that's the that's the, the difference with for us with, with Dick Houser, that he believed in everybody. It didn't matter who you were, and that's that's the only reason I firmly believe we won that, other than the fact it was a nice little windblown double by Jim Sundberg, and that somehow we scored three runs, and I'm still kind of shocked on that one, how that worked that way. But, uh, you know, it was just one of those crazy times where everything aligned perfectly for us, and somehow we were able to win game seven. I, I, hey, uh, guys, let me
1: wrap this up here with you, bit, and I, I I just listening. Um, here's what I'm sensing, and I wanted to ask especially Rance about this. Clark continues, even all these years later, to be surprised. There's some surprise in everything he talks about when he talks about Kansas City winning. And listening to you, Rance, I, I still feel a pain that comes through when you're talking about this, a genuine Pain of an athlete. You were on a great team. You knew it. You were expected to win. You
2: expected to win, and you didn't. And that's that still lingers with you. Is that fair? It it does. Uh, When I think about it, it, when I reflect back on that series, um, it's not quite as often anymore. But that was that was a tough pill to swallow, and it hurt because, again. We had a great ball club. We actually felt we were the best team in baseball, from top to bottom. And uh, we had hard fought down the stretch against the Yankees to get to the postseason. We go up three games to one. We know that the last two are going to be played in Toronto. So we definitely felt like if we get back, to, if it gets back to Toronto, we're going to win it. And. Uh, we didn't, and there was a couple of tough breaks that didn't go our way. But that's baseball; that happens. Uh, we understand that, but what it was—that was tough. That was a tough one to take. It's it's the toughest loss uh, in a series that that I ever experienced. And I I was in Kansas City when we got beat by Philly in 1980, and of course in '87, the the, the the very difficult last week of the season uh, when we should have went to the postseason that year. But to be up three games to one uh, in, in a, in a seven-game series, you're supposed to win it, and we didn't. And, and that uh, it took a long time to get over. As I mentioned earlier, I definitely felt like that was a carryover into the next season because the next year in 86 we had a sub year.
0: You know, what happens in these series doesn't just end when the series is over. And, Mike, you've got a real good story about that uh, running into – former manager Bobby Cox, and uh, it hadn't been forgotten.
3: Every time I see Bobby Cox, the first thing he comes up to me and says, I hate you. Every time. <laughs> he's, he's, he, he still remembers that. He goes, I hate you and I hate your team. You're like a world champion of a Hall of Fame. He goes, I don't care. I still hate you.
2: Well, at least he treated you better than he does me because the last time I saw him, I was on the broadcast team in Toronto and Atlanta. uh, He was still managing and Atlanta was in uh, Toronto to play the Blue Jays in interleague play. And I went over to say hello to him. He looks at me and says, what happened? They ran out of bodies. (laughs) So so anyway, uh, at least he hates you. (laughs) But... uh, yeah, he, he was he was wonderful to play for, and and uh, but uh, uh, he just, as you know, he's just jabbing you a little bit. Gentlemen, it's, uh, let me just say, as a fan, I love it. Uh, I deeply appreciate
1: it uh, that you're willing to share thoughts that, that we don't get to hear very often, and uh, it's really been really been a treat. Brad Smolynick and uh, Mark Gubisa, thank you very
3: much. Great, Scotty. Thank you. I it was it. awesome reminiscing all, all over again. I'll tell you, it feels it's it's odd, but it still feels like it was uh, yesterday. I mean, it's still one of the greatest thrills to be involved in a series like that that uh, I'll, I'll ever experience or even
2: witness any, anywhere anywhere down the road. It 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 was uh, again. You know, it was a hard fought series, uh, and uh, the Royals came out on top. And as it turned out, uh, you went on to. Uh, come back down three games to one against the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series and be world champion. Uh, it was well-deserved, and even though it was it, it was very painful to be on the wrong end of, of, of the postseason that year, uh, since I had played in Kansas City and I had some good friends on that team, uh, in the end, uh, I was happy when uh, the Royals won the World Series because it was well-deserved, and I know there were some guys over there that had been through some extremely uh, tough postseason series, in particular against the Yankees, where they were uh, didn't didn't advance the World Series, and then when they did in 1980, they lost. So they had they had swallowed the bitter pill as well, and it was well deserved. So uh, congratulations again on the World Championship, and I was fortunate enough in the end to to be on a World Championship team. So uh, I, I, I what I would leave you with, Mark and Gary, is. You know, we've, we've all been blessed to be a part of the game and participated, be a part of it at, at the major league level for a long, long time. And uh, along with that are some difficult losses, but a lot of uh, great wins as well. And uh, so I'm just grateful to have had the opportunity.
0: Yeah, that puts it in an to another chapter of Sports Rivals. We invite you to learn more about us at any time, anywhere, about episodes in the past or those coming up. You can log on to the SportsRivals.com, join the conversation. Always happy to hear your comments, your questions, any suggestions you have for future shows, people you'd like to hear. Please don't hesitate. Let us know. And if you'd like to follow us, you can uh, do that on Instagram at the SportsRivals, Twitter at Sports underscore Rivals, and on Facebook by searching for the Sports Rivals Podcast. Thanks everybody for joining us, and don't forget when it comes to your rivals, beat them.